All right, and welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm Connor, and I'm here as always with Calvin. Thanks for having me. And we have McKinnon on as a guest again. What's up? And we have a very special guest, Katya, is on today. Very excited to have you. <laughs> Hello, thank you. You maybe can tell from the uh, the rainy storm clouds, uh, the sound of that, that we're, uh, we're talking about Noah today, which is a Darren Aronofsky film. We've reviewed a couple of his in the past. We're kind of trying to add them to the suite. Uh, we've talked about The Fountain and Black Swan and Mother. So this is just another addition to that. Um, it was written by Darren Aronofsky and Ari Handel. And it's adapted from the original story written by Moses. I was going to say, I don't, I don't <laughs> think he was the original author. Yeah. For a moment, I actually thought we were talking about Requiem for a Dream. And I was like, I, that was the author of, oh, wait, oh. Because Requiem for a Dream is also a book. Yes. Uh, but uh, scholars think that uh, Moses was the author of Genesis. So that's, that was my joke. The first five books of the <laughs> right. Bible, I think, actually. Right. So uh, Noah's released in 2014. It made a it had a budget of 125 million, and it made 358, which I think is Aronofsky's like highest grossing film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think Black Swan was like 200 something. You know, I might be wrong. I, I'd have to go back and look at the stats because actually that one was bigger. I think it was like 500 or something like that. Anyways, uh, it's about two hours and 18 minutes long, and it feels like two different movies. Um, but let's get first impressions. Uh, McKinnon, what did you think of this movie? I didn't. I didn't think that much of it. I uh, I thought it was going to be more similar to Mother, which had a lot to unpack, but I didn't feel like this movie had a lot to unpack. I was underwhelmed. All right. But I think that this movie is probably easier to digest for the general public than Mother because Mother had so much to unpack. Oh, I I agree with you. I I think it's it's more general audience than Mother is, but I still think it's like we'll get into it later. But I think it's alienating in a lot of ways, especially to Christians, which we'll find mm, out there is yeah. a lot of controversy surrounding this movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Calvin, what did you think of this movie? So this was actually a movie that uh, was coming out at the tail end of uh, college. So we'd seen Requiem for a Dream, uh, Black Swan. Uh, I'd seen The Wrestler. Um, so there's a Aronofsky plays a lot with biblical themes, even before Mother, when he just went, you know, as as deeply biblical as he possibly could um so that there were these themes and these ideas in all of his other movies and then so when we found out that noah was coming out like oh oh, he just went full bible and i know you've said that before (laughs) yeah and so i still hadn't seen it for a while because i imagined that this was actually what it was going to be i I felt like it was going to be a fairly straightforward narrative um i think it is his most accessible films mostly because well, it's actually The Wrestler is also a, a fairly accessible film. Um, it's not quite such a psychodrama like Black Swan is, but it's been a long time since I've seen that. But even still, um, there are parts I feel that are that are the the typical Aronofsky fare, the fast editing, the very uncomfortable crowd scenes. Um, but it's not to the same degree as Black Swan uh, or Mother or Requiem for a Dream. So, yeah, I was I was. This was not the movie that I, I wanted out of Aronofsky. I was expecting something a little bit more um, more psychodrama. And that happens yeah. by like half of the movie, but in a really weird way. Right. Uh, Katya, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I expected it to be a lot more psychological. And then me being the only, I did not have a Christian upbringing. So that's been another big thing is like, I knew about the flood. But so I don't really know what of this was the story, what of this was Aronofsky. So for me, it was just pretty confusing in that sense. No, I'm excited for your perspective on that because we've said before, but Calvin McKinnon and I, we all went to the same mm-hmm. church growing up. I mean, we knew each other from church. So these stories are something that's like really common to me. And that's part of why I didn't really like Mother very much because it mm-hmm. seemed so obvious and so on the nose. 
but for someone who didn't grow up in the church, like that might be a more uh, a film you can kind of discover more yeah. than something like for me where I was like, I know this, this is boring. I know what Cain and Abel is. So yeah. I'm, I'm in, interested in like uh, finding your perspective on it because it, mm-hmm. it feels like just a story I've known my whole life. So yeah. that'll be that'll be good to hear. I didn't even know there was three brothers. So I was like, oh, wow, I've already learned something in the first like five minutes. I believe the youngest brother is added in. He's not in the Bible. Okay, Ham, gotcha. Yeah, Ham is the youngest one. Well, oh, I, no, I meant no, like no, Seth, no. Cain, and Abel. I oh, didn't oh. Even know about Seth. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. And yeah. no, Ham, Shem, Ham, and Japheth are all in the in the Bible. Oh, maybe I read that. I mean, well, they were at least on Teacher Barb's felt boards. So <laughs> oh, see, it must be true. Oh, no, that's you're totally. Right. <laughs> I thought this movie opened up. It, it it looked like the cinematic for like an early two thousands real time mm-hmm. strategy. Oh, with like the, <laughs> yeah. the Earth populating, the armies spreading, and like the the little there's like text to kind of explain what's going on. So right off the bat, I was just like, this does not seem like an Aronofsky movie at all. Right, it's like biblical RuneScape. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. yeah. that's so what I thought. <laughs> it felt really removed from the rest of the movie. I thought I thought the way it was filmed and like it was like Grady kind of. I don't know if that's the right mm-hmm. word for it. Yeah, it felt like. It didn't belong in that movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I got that like silly typeface, and you're just like, oh, I, that. I am so strange. glad you brought up the font because yeah. that's the first thing I thought. I was like, this doesn't look professional. No. It looks like a kid made it for like a presentation or something. Exactly, <laughs> it's, it's really odd. Wow, this is supposed to be a big movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I also thought this is going to be like just big epic Michael Bay esque nonsense, kind of a big just cash grab for Darren Aronofsky. Like he's made a lot of kind of weird avant garde films that were his vision. And now he kind of just gets to make some money because he's a notable director now. And it felt like that way for part of the movie. And then it really changed. And I was like, okay, there's the Aronofsky flair. And I'm not sure if it fit as well as I thought it would. It's definitely not as uh, like gratuitous as like his style is in his other movies. But it's still there. It's just kind of, it's just a more subtle way like Calvin mentioned earlier. But I also think it, it is accessible in a way. But I also think it's like alienating in a way. Because I think it's it caused a lot of like we said controversy with a, like a Christian audience, but we'll get more into that. And I'm 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 pretty excited to talk about this one. It's definitely weird, and not as I guess uh, it's not weird in the way I thought it was going to be. Yeah, which is disappointing. I didn't think it was weird at all because the bar is so <laughs> high with Aronofsky's films. I didn't think this movie was weird at all. It seemed to just kind of like yeah, go. It was by so the story. It was so by the books. I think yeah. comparing it to like a like a Michael Bay film for like a like a cash grab, I think is a really good way to put it because it doesn't feel like his other films. I think it's just still more odd than a Michael Bay film. Yeah. It still felt like it had Aronofsky's fingerprints of weirdness on it. Yeah, it felt like uh, up until like the flood, like everything after the flood kind of had more of his uh, fingerprints on it, I felt like. Yeah, I agree. All right, so I want to start out with uh, like, what are our thoughts coming into this movie? We're aware of Darren Aronofsky and kind of his style, uh, but what did you think of him going into a biblical story like Noah? Uh, Katya, what did you think of that? Um, yeah, well, the most recent one I'd seen was Requiem for a Dream with Calvin. Yes. So, yeah, and then with Black Swan. I haven't t- seen a ton of his his movies, but, yeah, I was expecting more, like, just Noah. Like, just him. Like, what's going on with him? And all the, you know, all the struggle, yeah, that he goes through in the second half. Like, am I going to kill my family? Or what, what's going to happen? Yeah, right. Do you mean, <laughs> like, 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 exclusively his perspective? Exclusively him, mm-hmm. yeah. And also, for some reason, half the time that the title was mentioned, I was like, wait, what is this movie about? Like, who's Noah? Like, I kept not connecting that it was about the biblical Noah just because I didn't, like, it just didn't make sense that There's it would a, just another, be the biblical Noah. another right. Noah who yeah. was a part of a big flood. Yeah, yeah. well, because well, well, I, I, would, I, would I would keep saying, like, oh, yeah, we're we're watching Noah. Man, it's so weird. And, like, yeah. Yeah. What is that about again? Yeah. <laughs> Why exactly. is that weird? Yeah. I know. I was just, I don't know. 
So yeah, um, the reviews from Calvin were not very positive, so I wasn't really looking forward to watching it. <laughs> and then having, you know, the biblical, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought I expected it to be more psychological, a little bit more um, controversial. Hmm. Right, and that's that's weird to me. That I mean, not weird to me, but it's interesting that uh, like you went into it expecting it being more psychological and I went to an, into it expecting like, oh, it's just going to be a bunch of CGI waves and it's just going to be <laughs> like battles and like that's, it's just going to be nonsense. So I, I like that there's a, like we both went into it with like different expectations. Uh, McKinnon, what did you think about going into a, a biblical story told by Darren Aronofsky? I didn't really have much of an idea going into it except for Mother and that was like the baseline I was going off of. But I didn't expect it to be Crap, I don't have any idea how to answer that question <laughs> because it's so different from from Mother. So he couldn't just copy what is in the Bible one for one because that would be incredibly boring. So there were certain changes that needed to be made to make it more, I think, more accessible to like a wider audience. But the version of the movie that's more accessible to a wider audience, I don't think is a psychological movie, which feels different than the movies that he's known for making. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that they talk about, like Ari Handel has talked about how and uh, Aronofsky have talked about how it's interesting the the story arc of like of mercy and justice and applying that to Noah and you can kind of see those themes tied through the whole movie but they're so sparse you know and it's it's in all of this giant creation story too it's like they're trying to be intimate with Noah's perspective on everything but also talk about this wide history and God in general, and it's trying to do too many things, which is so strange because I feel like Aronofsky has been a filmmaker long enough to know like what his niche is. It's like I want to get in one person's head or maybe a couple people's heads and um, like Requiem for a Dream and express all of that the same way. Um, so going into this that way, I think is so is so strange. Like I feel like he should have just dumped everything about getting inside of Noah's head and just concentrated on um, the whole story arc and forgotten about why Noah cares about any of this stuff. Because for a narrative, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. No, I agree with you. One of the things I took away from this is. I, I didn't really care for any of the performances because I don't think any of the characters really matter. Except for Emma yeah. Watson, right? <laughs> she screamed a couple times. Yeah. yeah. Emma Watson is Katya's favorite actress. <laughs> um, but but I, I just went away from it. I was like, none of the characters really matter. What matters is like the theme or the message, which ends up kind of being like, is humanity the parasite? Like, are we the problem? Like, that's essentially the message of the second half. I think the first half is about like judgment and, you know, uh, humanity getting what it deserves which is more in line with the actual story in the bible the second half of the movie is where it kind of departs from that and that's where a lot of the controversy comes from but i, I left the movie being like i don't really care about the characters at all because it's not really about that so and they don't I, I feel real no no they do not the characters are just plot devices the yeah. the only thing i think I, is uh russell crowe's portrayal of noah i kind of like the idea of playing around with the uh, maybe just his interpretation of the message from God. He's so sinister. Yeah. It was It was not, It that's not how I ever pictured the story of Noah before. No, I, and I agree, because um, part of 
our upbringing was yeah. we we see these books uh, you know we we hear these stories from like uh, uh bibles with pictures in them and it's yeah like, no it's, it's one of like the big bible figures yeah. that you're taught about yeah and it's, it's like a cute story like we're saving the animals we're getting on the ark you know we we get to the the the, the dove brings the the olive branch and yeah. it's like a nice story so to hear it retold in a way that's uh, yeah like you said much more dark much more sinister yeah it's so gritty there's like a, a stowaway on the ship who tries <laughs> to kill him yeah. yeah it's gritty yeah and i think what's really interesting too is there's a lot of uh problems with with uh, the biblical Noah story in the in this idea of balancing justice and mercy, and they don't they don't make any sense. You know, why does God save these ones? What, um, you know, what is the point of destroying your creation if you knew they were going to do it already? And then taking all of those problems and then applying them to a person who is acting as a mediator uh, of God's will is even more problematic. Like, w- at what point does he get to decide? Um, what God's message is, what God's intention is, who gets spared and who gets killed. Like, why in the world is he trying to, like, is, does he think that he needs to kill this baby? Why Why have people on a boat being saved from the flood if they're just supposed to die out? Yeah. No, and, and that's why I really like the idea of it's playing with Noah's interpretation of the message he's gotten. Because, and, and I feel like a lot of Christians would be upset with this, but a lot of the Bible is interpretations of perceived signs or miracles that the writers got from God. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, you know, we, we grew up with this, you know, the Bible is, you know, the word is God breathed and it's all intentional and it's what he meant. But I think there's a real, there's a real aspect to uh, biblical stories that you can take and consider as this is a, a person's interpretation. Mm-hmm. And so I like the way that this movie played with that idea of Noah interpreting it, maybe wrong, maybe right. But then the viewer gets to kind of decide on their own, like, oh, like maybe I agree with this or maybe, maybe Noah's like, we're just, he's kind of having a breakdown and he, he's not, pers- he's not, perceiving this message correctly. So I like I like that idea of it. As far as characters go, that's like the only relevant part of this movie, I think. Yeah. I thought that made the most sense. Like for me, not expecting, like I always picture God's word to be like someone heard it and then they decided to do something with it because arguably Noah and like Tubalcain, they both want people to survive in the end, but for completely different reasons. Right, right. So I think it's way more cool to think, okay, God made Noah and then if God can do whatever he wants, why not just leave it up to the person? Because yeah. in the end, that's what matters. And he'll do the right thing if he's really in my image or whatever. I liked what he said. Uh, he's like, I'm not righteous. I'm just mm-hmm. the one who can carry out the task. Yeah. So I, I like the way it paints Noah. Again, he's like mm-hmm. the only interesting character in this whole movie to me. Yeah, and he's kind of he's kind of tortured. But I like what, the, the, what you were bringing up, this idea of like inspired word. What do you think then of the fact that so much of the inspiration of this movie is non-canonical. A lot of it is taken from Enoch, actually. Yeah, that was what I had read was the big, one of the big controversies is it's, they're like, this isn't like canon for the Bible, and but like inspiration is pulled from that. Like, uh, aren't the, the Nephilim, the Watchers are pulled from from yeah. that as well? So the Nephilim are mentioned one time in the canonical Bible, right. um, and they are generally translated as being fallen, uh, or giants, but no one has any consensus on the etymology of that word. It's probably best, uh, some scholars uh, argue that it's probably best to leave it untranslated the way it is, because Enoch goes into way more detail about the Nephilim and how uh, the daughters of men um, lay with the Nephilim and gave us the heroes of old. Like there's, like Enoch fills in like the 
um, the giant gap of history between uh, Cain and Abel and Noah, which is, I mean, it's really massive, which is why I think it's so cool that this is a, a post-apocalyptic looking world because like civilization could look like anything. We don't really know what how much amount of time. I think it's guessed that there's around 2,000 years between them because of um, the genealogies that they're given, but that's really our best guess of it. So going completely non-canonical, I think really is, I don't know why you don't just make things up. It's rather than going uh, non-canonical, you know? Yeah. I, I liked it. I actually liked the watchers. I thought it was a cool addition, especially like, uh, I, I love their little backstory that, uh, kind of, um, how they, they fall to earth and they are molten and they crack out of it. I was like, that's actually really, it was a really, uh, concise and uh, it told you exactly what was going on and it did it in a really visually interesting way. Mm. It wasn't just like this exposition. It was really neat. It, I, I liked I liked how they were introduced. They uh, answered a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> for uh, for yep. some of our viewers who might not know, what is Enoch? Oh, Enoch was whose father was Enoch was Methuselah's father. Enoch is said to not have died. Uh, he was taken up with God when he was walking with him. Oh, right. Yes, I recall. So, and that's why, and that's also part of the mythology behind uh, why he wrote these books. Um, I can't remember how many Enochs there are, first Mm -hmm. and second, but they're thought to have been written around 100 or 300 BC. Okay. So still four to 600 years before the Council of Nicaea. So all of... The uh, Old Testament should be older than Enoch, and which is why it's not considered canon. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but as far as like things that are not canon, uh, like the rocks, the that light up and combust. Yeah. That's totally added Magic in. Magic rocks. <laughs> oh yeah. What is it called? Zohar. Yeah. Yeah. I love, they, did I love, they give them a name? I didn't know if yeah. I missed it or not. Yeah. The the ground is rich with Zohar. Oh. oh. I, I thought it was so odd. It it felt like there was a lot of emphasis put on them at the beginning of the film. And then they really don't appear again. I think when Noah's telling the story of creation, he has it like mm-hmm. clasped and he covers it up to, you know, saying the, the, the universe started in darkness and everything. But that's like its only reappearance. I thought it was going to play some major role, like they were going to make bombs with it or something to uh, defend the, the art. The villain does. What, Tubal Cain? Yeah, he has a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. And then Noah burns Shem's boat. It's just not, it's not as... For as much attention as it got in the beginning of the film, I didn't think it really yeah. had any payoff. I thought, yeah. You don't really go into it at all. So that's like another non-canon thing. It was going to pan yeah. out with like a big uh, payoff, like an emotional uh, comparison to something else or right. something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the only reason that they used Zohar, like um, despite that whole first scene being so weird, uh, giving Noah a backstory of like a hero and like a villain, I thought it was unnecessary yeah um but it's also like said in uh enoch that um the nephilim taught men uh metallurgy so i think that's where they take i just don't know why you would call uh, why you have to give a mineral a name and make it kind of seem like it's going to be integral to the story exactly yeah that's my point is it felt like it was going to matter later and it doesn't really well the first scene with noah was just to set up the snakeskin thing right Mm -hmm. that was like the only point of it um, but it was also Tubal Cain was the one that killed his father. Sure, it was to set so, up yeah. the villain also. Yeah, okay. and that's and it was just so goofy. Like he's just like he's like, oh my gosh, men run hide, and then he goes up like all like defiant, like what are you doing here? And it's like you're a single man against a giant army of right. watchers, <laughs> and then he just yeah like kills him in just a really overdramatic way. Mm-hmm. It was so not Aronofsky. 
Uh, Aronofsky is over the top, but not in like, but in his formalism, not necessarily in um, his subject matter. Like you know it's more I mean? subtle the way he's over the top. Yeah, exactly. Like in Requiem for a Dream, like it's it's unnerving and everything, but there's not a lot of things that um, are directly upsetting because of the image it's shown. It's the way that he tells the story, all of the editing, the close-ups, the the camera, um, the the lenses, the angles. Those things are what are uh, upsetting and uh, create the discomfort in Aronofsky's movies, mm-hmm. um, and that drives the plot. Here it was just a weird act of violence that we were supposed to be like upset about, but it was, you know, ham-fisted. And I don't. Mm. I think that if the only thing you can call ham-fisted about Darren Aronofsky is his style, not his subject matter. Yeah, I think that's why this movie felt it didn't feel like an Aronofsky film to me. Yeah, that 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 murder of Nova's father wasn't backed by anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but isn't that the whole kind of point of Noah's story that it's the violent humans? Like, so to have just someone just being violent and you don't understand why. No yeah, reason, I, I think know. in that case, it could have been anyone. It yeah. didn't need to be Noah's father. It could have just gotcha. been them killing any stranger. And I feel like that's also kind of the, the thing that you uh, hope for or count on when you're making a, a story on the Bible, that everybody knows this story or the people that are coming to see it know the story enough to know that these people are evil. We don't need to create a backstory of how Noah's father was killed by anyone because these people are just evil because that's just right. because that's all the that's that's all the justification the Bible gives. So going any further than that, I, I, you would have needed a lot more. I feel like to make it um, to underscore how badly humans had become um, and how far they had strayed from God, rather than just having one guy kill Noah's father and get this this very melodramatic. Uh, emotional like I mean it feels more like a soap opera than it does an actual drama right. because of the way you've set everything up yeah I think another part that's is non-canon is uh, Noah's sons had wives when they got on the ark mm-hmm. in in the Bible and so to have them not have wives and that that brings up kind of that a uh, that tension between Ham and Noah where he eventually is gonna betray Noah because you know he lost his chance to have a wife which that scene when the girl he's with gets trampled that's when I was like okay now I know I'm watching an Aronofsky movie because he doesn't do violence in a way that's like stylized or gory the same way like uh, like Quentin Tarantino does. You know, mm-hmm. like that that's like that's like really I don't want to say fun stylized violence, but <laughs> but, pe- but but people go to watch those movies because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get the blood everywhere. I'm going to get the people flying around being after being shot and everything. Aronofsky does violence in a way that is is subtle, but it also makes your stomach hurt. Uh, and yeah. that was the first scene where I was like, oh, OK, yeah, I'm watching an Aronofsky movie. Um, so I, I actually like that that change uh, by not having wives or anything like that. It adds that tension in, and then it really makes the story or the interpretation that Noah has that humanity is meant to end. Their only purpose was to get these animals on the ark and then eventually die out because humanity is essentially the problem. So I liked that change in like the canon. Mm-hmm. And it made more sense for like the end when it made more sense for all the family members, yeah, in the drama because yeah, like when Ham leaves. Calvin told me it's just because he saw his dad naked. And then I was like, well, that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. So for someone that doesn't know the story, it makes way more sense to have motivations for everything. Yeah. Well, he doesn't yeah. just leave. He's cursed by Noah to leave. I don't <laughs> know if you remember that in the story. Uh, they filmed it exactly as it happened. The only thing is, is that um, Noah turns to Ham and says, because uh, the Bible says Ham looked upon his father's nakedness. And Noah cursed him and his entire line and banished him. And those become the people of Canaan. 
Which would have been an odd way for the movie to end, so I'm glad yeah, they didn't do that. Exactly, because it's a stupid thing, like, uh, like in general. Like, <laughs> right. oh, I'm sorry that you got drunk on the beach and you're punishing me. Yeah, exactly. Well, That's what I was going to say. It was it's, it's essentially Noah's fault. It's because yeah. he didn't cover up his father. He just stood and watched. Because his brothers came and covered him up, and that was the appropriate thing to do. Yeah, oh. the, well, the way that it uh, he responds, though, is that it's just... It's just the fact that he saw his nakedness, not that he tried to help him or anything, because it's emphasized specifically that his brothers covered him up by turning their backs to him and pulling the blanket over him so as not to see his nakedness. That was the sin that Ham committed was seeing his father naked, which is just, yeah, this is silly. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Calvin, (laughs) because I have my Bible right here. So give me a second and I'll, I'll let you know if you're right or wrong. (laughs) <laughs> you really pulled out a Bible. I'm shocked. <laughs> um, so we've mentioned before that this movie, it feels like two movies. It it changes its direction and its themes once the flood has happened and the, the ark is afloat. Um, Katya, what do, you, what do you think of the first half? What do you think the message is? And then what do you think the message is in the second half? And do they blend together at all? Or is it kind of really, did you find it to be like an abrupt change between the narratives? Yeah, well, I definitely found an abrupt change. Um, I stopped the movie and, like, made some French fries, and I just, I didn't really, like, I was like, okay, this is probably going to, it's only halfway done. <laughs> like, at that point, I was looking yeah. at, at what was going on. So, so yeah, the first half just seemed like some epic, yeah, sci-fi type movie um, with lots of battles. And so I much I much preferred the second half. That's when I wanted to see. I was like, oh, I wish they would have just been like started on the boat and started discovering these things. For me, that would have been a lot more exciting. Um, Because, yeah, from the first half, I got the message that like everything's over. Um, There was like a finality to it. Yeah. Like every like everything like humanity, humans are terrible. So did you and Noah's given up on them? Like after he walks through the village and he's just like he let and he lets the. Yeah, the girl get trampled. That's when I wrote in my notes, like, Noah turned evil because he just let an innocent girl get trampled. And I thought the whole point was that only animals are innocent, but there are so many innocent people, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the first half just seemed like this. Yeah, we're giving up on everybody. Noah's committed. And then the second half became much more interesting because then he gets to change his mind. Yeah, I definitely think the first half is much more. It's about judgment, yes. which, which is much more in line with the the biblical themes Mm -hmm. and then the second half kind of turns into a a, a, like conservation or a commentary on climate change uh, how we how we treat uh the the um the biomes that we live in you know Mm -hmm. how we affect ecosystems and stuff like that and that's what that's why i think it's kind of a an odd change but i think the second half is much more of a darren aronofsky movie than the first half is Mm -hmm. like he does like these commentaries and stuff like that's a big part of mother is talking about like how we treat the earth and 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 now like you know yeah. humanity is the problem so it's clearly a theme that carries out in the second half of this movie i just don't think it fits at all just i, I agree yeah, with you it's like just make the whole movie that then yeah exactly make the whole movie that or make it all about the bible because yeah it seems like it's up to up, up to us to save everything but not everything right so and it gets very harry sorry harry g- potter-esque because it's all about love <laughs> at the end it's all about the love he saw for his own grandchildren right so katya yeah. would you say like the the battle felt really out of place to you yeah, I didn't really see the need for the battle. Okay. Just have the conflict be with the uh, people trying to get on the Ark and then the flood come? 
Yeah, okay. yeah, it would have been much cool. I mean, it makes sense to have a battle. It makes sense that everybody, you know, they've been building this arc for a long time. There should be people there, but I almost think there should have been more stowaways and more like little scuffles like the yeah. whole time. Like, I wish that they did more with the Watchers because mm-hmm. the Watchers' whole point is that they're trying to help the humans, but here they are at the end of the movie killing a bunch of humans. Yeah. So I wish that they did more with like the internal conflict with the Watchers being like, well, we're here to help uh, these people who are following out what God told them to do. But here's this other group of humans who are trying to survive and get on the ship also, which was their whole point for being on the planet in the first place, trying to help humans. Mm -hmm. Which is confusing. It is confusing. I wish that they did more with the Watchers. Yeah, because it seemed like they almost got rewarded at the end for just following this guy because he said God was talking to him. And all they wanted was to get back in God's good graces. Right. Kind of. And they did. Is their motivation to get on God's good graces and come back to heaven or is it to help humans because it seems like it's both sometimes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the movie becomes more accessible if you have a battle in it because people want to go and see that and it's 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 fun for a wider audience. I also think it's probably going to cause or did cause a lot of problems with the Christian audience because people don't want to see the Bible painted as like a fantasy. They want to see it as like this is what actually happened. These miracles took place. These events really happened because their whole belief system is built on that. And so I think when you have kind of a, I don't know, like a Lord of the Rings-esque battle mm-hmm. in your movie about Noah— it's gonna it's gonna cause some controversy. It's gonna people are gonna be turned off to that. I also think the watchers in that scene they look like the uh, you know the rock titan from Hercules. <laughs> yeah, the rock titan or like rock ants. Yeah, like the, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the other thing I thought. Yeah, they look like ants. I just thought there's not enough uh, facial characteristics. Mm-hmm. They look cartoony, and that was my big problem with like the I guess the the character design of those when you put them in what's supposed to be your epic like kind of uh, violent climax in the movie and your kind of like hero characters in it look really goofy it kind of takes some of the wind out of that that was kind of my my only problem with like the the way that they were created uh yeah i i I do think that having kind of that fantasy element makes it more accessible to more people but it's definitely going to cause problems for people who take these stories very seriously yeah i i did like the way they were designed because um i felt like it looked like an actual affliction uh, the way they wa- walked, it looked like uh, they were limping and yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I feel like that was yeah supposed to why the faces looked the way they did is because they were not supposed to look angelic anymore. Um, yeah, I actually I didn't like the fact that it switched to the second half, and I liked the second half a lot worse because I felt like we had set up this biblical epic. And that's what we were concentrating on. We weren't concentrating on who these people really were. We were just talking about the story. So to then decide to get into Noah's head, even though that is, I think, a a more interesting um, story to tell, I don't think it was justified by what was at the beginning. Because the beginning, yeah, it's just like this uh, post-apocalyptic angel battle. And then the second half, it's just alien. And, you know, and he's skulking around like, I'm going to get that baby. And, like, that's like, (laughs) oh, that's what he... Okay, I understand You said in your notes, spiritual successor to alien. And McKenna and I were like, what is he talking about? I thought you meant Prometheus. Because, like, the beginning of Prometheus is about, like, populating the planet and stuff. Yeah. So I was like, what is he talking about? But that makes sense. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's like tonally it's that's that's the same movie it's just like you have like this this um this presence uh sneaking around in the shadows and it's trying to to kill you and that's yeah i just felt like it was very very strange and i didn't think that it was in line with noah's character like god had not specifically told him anything he did exactly what what god told him to do right um 
that was not something that God told him to do, so I don't know why he was following through with that idea. So in your comparison to Alien, are you saying that Noah is the one skulking around the shadows or yeah. the stowaway? No, Noah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, he, he was, yeah, Tubal Cain was there the whole time. but He like, wasn't skulking, but he wasn't a big player until the very end. Yeah, he literally somehow hit on that boat for a year. Yeah. Which is, I, it's that's a huge probably boat. the... I, it was I only know. 40 I, days, Calvin. Well, for the rain. I but, know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so I felt like that was actually the hardest thing for me to, in this world of fantasy and mushroom tea, like that was the thing I had <laughs> right. the hardest thing believing. Yeah, that that too, like the fact that Noah's visions were kind of drug-induced. They are all psychedelic. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that, I don't feel like that was brought up enough in controversies that I read that I feel like... That should have rankled a lot more people than it did. The fact that Methuselah is kind of like a wizard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got Merlin <laughs> vibes from him. Yeah. yeah. He's just like scra- <laughs> scraping at the ground like berries. Right. Berries. Yeah. I liked at the end he finally gets the berry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, what a good character arc. Well, the whole time I was like, I need to ask what the point of the berry is. Because I always miss like symbols and stuff. So it's good to know that some of it just... No, it's it, just totally it just random. Didn't, yeah, that's that's one of those things that you'd be reading way too much into that because yeah, that it the, was it was just supposed yeah. to be like a, a a quirk for that character. Well, I think that the barrier was rolled into Anthony Hopkins' contract, and that's why it was in the movie. <laughs> so I was I was consulting the scripture, and I was curious: is Ham the youngest brother? He was the youngest. No, one, right? Japheth is uh, the youngest. Okay, yeah, it's confusing. Yeah, so you're right. He got banished because he uh, he looked at his father naked. Yeah, isn't that so dumb? Yeah. That's what I mean by the problem. The inherent problems of the story are magnified when you decide to make it a two hour epic, and it's like, you know, a few stanzas. Well, it wouldn't make sense. Be- it wouldn't make sense to send away his son because he looked at him naked because he did much worse before that. So it makes sense that he would either go away on his own because he felt ashamed of what he did, or his father would be like. You should feel ashamed for what you did. Go away. Right. So it's when it's interesting to me that they chose to change that, but keep more or less the the story of Noah the same. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I feel like there are them- thematic problems. This idea of like who who gets to who gets to be saved and when, and how much evil is too much evil, and you know why is there redemption at all for these characters? Do you mean like like Noah's character is inconsistent? Uh, the idea of who dies. Um, just in the in the biblical story, like why is Noah the only one that uh, doesn't get killed? Well, I think biblically speaking, it's uh, he's like viewed as like the only person just enough to survive, right? Which family. which seems I I feel like that that's which isn't very unlikely. well it, it's not very well portrayed in this movie because right. I wrote down a note I was like, man, Russell Crowe is really good at killing. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh. Yeah. That, that's a he's, good. That's a great point. He's actually. He probably has the higher death count of anyone in the he movie. Kills more people than anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Which really surprised me. Yeah. Uh, so I want to move on to some of the controversy surrounding this movie. I found a an article where the Catholic Church kind of put out a statement saying that this was a uh, missed opportunity. It's Noah without God, and they said it's more of a ecological New Age retelling. Uh, do you agree with that? Um, do you think it matters? And do you think the movie is better off for not following this, like, kind of point per point, you know, from, like, a literal biblical retelling? Isn't this movie, like, different in almost every way from the biblical telling? Well, I mean, you got the main plot points. The, the flood does happen. There's a flood that happens, <laughs> but, like, none of the characters act like they do in the Bible. Yeah, but what I mean is, is the movie better off for veering away from that 
And like the Catholic Church said, it's a missed opportunity. Do you view this as a missed opportunity? Is this really even a story for Christians, or was it just a, 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 a I mean, a, a new age? Retelling? Yeah. Well, so you and I were talking about this before we started recording that I think if they just copied the story one for one for what's in the Bible, it would, it would be incredibly boring. So they had to change some stuff to make it more viewable by a larger audience. So I think that they made the best movie that they could to show the story that they wanted to show. And if they changed anything, it was a good change. All right. Yeah, I'd actually say, I feel like if you're saying that this was a missed opportunity, that that would mean that there is some sort of good moral implication of this story that that you can then take as an example of like, this is God and his goodness. And I think that's ridiculous because that is not what this story is. If you really break it down in God being all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, he would never have created these people in the first place because if if he knew he was going to destroy them because they were going to corrupt his creation, that's ridiculous. Like, I'm just going to make these people, I know they're going to screw up, I'm just going to kill them and start over. That is a stupid story that makes this God feel very childish. I don't think that you're painting the picture that you want then of your all-knowing creator. I think that Noah really should be thought of um, as... It needs to be about like a man uh, being pious in the face of evil and take out all of the fantastical stuff. And it really needs to be very different from the from the actual Bible because the actual Bible doesn't talk much about Noah or his thoughts. So all of that needs to get thrown out and needs to be retold if that's if that's the if that's what you're really going for. Because as it is, it is not a good um, entry point into Christianity, especially since it's. Uh, Old Testament, I mean... Which is all fire and brimstone and... And killing yeah. people for, like, yeah, making fun of their baldness. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I want to move into another question that I had. It's pretty easy to look up and find criticisms of this movie, and one that I didn't find at all was uh, Noah's telling of creation. And the way it's edited together, you get into this part where it's a, a single cell dividing, and it becomes a, a fish, and that moves on to become an amphibian, and then reptile, and then, like, a, a proto-mammal... And we move on into, you know, more complex forms of mammals. That to me seems like a, a straight up depiction of evolution. I didn't really find any articles or any like Christian groups that were criticizing this at all, even though that's to me, that's exactly what's being put on screen. So I wonder, like, was that is that how you guys uh, interpreted that scene? That's yeah. Oh. yeah. Go ahead, Katya. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say that was the first thing I saw. Um, and someone coming into it not knowing what the Bible story was, what was canon, what wasn't. I think all of the images of the world and space and then the evolution moment and the mushrooms and the mycelium vision moments, that's what made me think, oh, this isn't this isn't the Bible story. This isn't totally Christian. This and isn't I your grandma's Bible story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I also got excited about it, yeah. you know? so It's definitely, I think, it's visually one of the most interesting parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. I like yeah, how it's... They it's, do you yeah. reuse one of the shots from the fountain of the of exploding uh, Shababa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's 100%. That's I've exactly seen, what I thought. I've seen the fountain enough times to know like, oh yeah, that's that's exactly Okay, what I'm glad was. you confirmed that for me because that is that is exactly what I thought when I when that when that popped up on screen. Which is a very non-Christian story, which in the middle of this sequence then makes lends more to your point that this is more uh, a story of evolution right. and uh, 
you know, the, the world, the, the cycle of the universe than creationism. Um, but I didn't take it so much as, uh, evolution at the first part, uh, the first time I saw it mostly cause yeah, I was just not super invested. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness we're talking about the movie. Then. <laughs> I know, but the other way I took it was it, it, it was the editing style for me. Like he, all of those things, including like if you go back to when the, the forest first sprouts and we have all of those streams snaking through the valleys and how it's just all of these cuts on top of cuts and top of cuts. I felt like that's, that was the editing style was just slowly changing form, not specifically evolution, but mostly because it was um, just a linear representation of form uh, as we went through the days of creation. Which, you know, when I went back and rewatched it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably evolution. But I didn't catch that at the first time because that's like it was just like a bunch of different fish, not one fish going through one. I feel like that's the typical uh, representation of evolution. Here's this one thing starting as a cell, slowly becoming a fish, becoming a reptile, becoming a mammal, becoming an ape and a human. Um, and I feel like there's no controversy because, yeah, it's apes and then there's this bright light and then we just have glowing humanoid forms. Right. And I think that's really why is it, it specifically skipped that step. Mm -hmm. I can see that. I still think it's, to me, it was just implied that that's the next, the next step in the evolution is to, to become human. But I, I also, I, I really understand your point. It's like, it specifically stops there to be like humanity was created in God's image. So they're separate from like this evolutionary path. So I can understand that too. I just still, even if you take that part out, it still looks a lot like evolution, which is, uh, you know, it's something that Christianity is adamantly against. So well, even if it doesn't end up being humans, it still, to me, depicts single-celled organisms becoming mammals. And it's actually interesting that you say that. Um, I read The Problem of Pain last year by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis actually brings up the idea that maybe evolution was the uh, the tool that God used for creation. Right. So in certain se- uh avenues of christianity some people do believe this i certainly don't want to generalize and be like every christian believes that but it seems to be a, a pretty prominent tenet is that's that, what we were taught yeah. oh for sure in yeah. in, in both the, in both the church and uh, i went to a christian school from first through 12th grade then i went to see boulder because you know what a culture shock <laughs> i needed a change of pace yeah. <laughs> so my next question and this is i think the most important one it really addresses a, a major part of the movie is noah goes through several different hairstyles <laughs> and I want to <laughs> I want to know which one ranks the highest for you guys. So we have we have long hair Noah, we have uh, uh, shaved head Noah with beard. We then get scraggly hair, scraggly beard Noah, and then at the end you get uh, more trimmed up Noah. So where do these where do these which one ranks at the top for you guys? I think the hairstyle he wore in Gladiator ranks the highest for me. Hundred <laughs> percent. That was my first thought. I was like, "All right, I trust this guy." Yeah, Cause right. Because it's, it's Gladiator. Also, speaking of, I think that's probably where he learned to kill so good. Was probably <laughs> it's no, it was really a crossover. <laughs> yeah, it's a shared universe. <laughs> yeah, I like shaved head beard Noah because also yes, he's the best battler, and uh, <laughs> I, I like the. It's very imposing. It reminded me of uh, like God of War. He seems like seasoned. Oh, yeah. yeah. The yeah. new, the what? Oh, I said he just seems like seasoned. Yeah. Like, this is me now. I felt like the reason they shaved his head was really actually to drive the conflict and difference between him and Tubal Cain and Tubal Cain's long, uh, unkempt hair. 
Which, I could see that. Yeah. Which, yeah, because that's such a big part at that point of the movie uh, in terms of good versus evil. And then he gets on the boat and everyone's going crazy. And, you know, everyone's got cabin fever, um, probably scurvy. Um, but yeah, the, at that point, then hairstyles are less important. Right. Did, uh, did Noah's hairstyle change after he was covered up, drunk, and naked? And then bef- between that point and when he walked back to his wife and like helped her in the mud? He does the ceremony with the snake skin, and that's when he's like his beard is more trimmed. Okay, because it's really unkempt when he's drunk. Gotcha. I also want to give a shout out to Shem, who has perfect hair the whole time. Oh yeah, his <laughs> hair and body and face, I think, are probably the best part of the movie. That's, that's the youngest um, brother, right? No, that's the oldest. Why does everyone think the know. youngest brother? You guys no, no, all think the No, I thought it was, I thought the middle brother, Ham. I thought I thought that's who you were talking about. I thought he was a good looking dude. Is that no? Is that Logan Lerman? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was the only one I was watching the whole movie. I wanted to see what Percy Jackson was going to do. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and those yeah. eyes, man. Yeah. No. How could you, well, I don't know why you get hung up on uh, on Shem when you could have a little piece of ham. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, having the hairstyle be different to like a post tubal cane. And uh, apparently a big part of the casting, they wanted him to be someone who could be physically imposing uh on screen compared to Russell Crowe, who's a big guy. Mm. So apparently Liam Neeson, uh, Liam Schreiber, and Val Kilmer were considered for the role, which I mm. find really interesting that Val Kilmer was. Yeah, especially at this point, uh, 2014, he still did he still have his voice? I'm not sure. I because I thought he I thought he lost it a while ago. There's a fascinating documentary. I know about we've that. talked about yeah. it, but that yeah, everyone should look into that. What what is it called again? Uh, the name of the documentary is Val. And I, I believe I, I watched it on Amazon. I think it's either free there or it's pretty cheap to rent. But it was it was it's a fascinating documentary. Uh, but it would have been, I wonder how Val Kilmer would have looked in that role. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like the casting is very good here. I don't think I need him to be um, physically imposing because that's the whole point of his character is that he's a king um, of a large group of people. And it's about his leadership skills or and about his, his dominant personality. And I feel like that's exactly... I don't remember who this actor is, but I feel like um, he was perfectly cast. Ray Winston plays Tubal Cain. Yeah, which What's, you guys might know him from his other role. He plays Ares in Percy Jackson. So going from that major role <laughs> to this one, who's also like a warlord... Kinda. I am sure you're I, the only one here who's watched Percy Jackson. He's, I have no idea what you're talking he's about. He's uncredited on IMDb. It's, it's like barely a role. Oh, really? Yeah. That that's feels weird that Ares would be uncredited in a movie about Greek gods. Yeah. He's also in uh, The Departed. He's one of the one of the guys in the gang. Oh, it's been a long time since I've seen The Departed. He looks way different with the long hair and the beard. I didn't I didn't catch that that was who it was at first. But I, I still, I like that character um, because I feel like they both, both him and Noah are kind of interpreting the will of God in their own way. Uh, like Noah feels he's on this kind of holy mission that he's the only one strong enough to carry out whether he's being righteous or not. And Tubal-Cain, he says he's like, we're made in God's image so that we can tame the earth. And so I like that idea that they both believe in some way that they're they're fulfilling some kind of uh, mission they're on, some, some kind of mission from God. And so that makes him a much more interesting antagonist. I didn't really think he was going to be a big deal outside of just bad guy who wants to fight you. But he develops into a much more interesting character. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too to balance those those goals then, and which is why I think the story is kind of um, not a great entry into Christianity, like I said, because the moral implications of Noah's mission are: I'm going to kill everybody. I want to kill everybody. That doesn't seem like that's certainly not the God of the New Testament. 
the God of love and forgiveness and turning the other cheek and he's, you know, making waves. Um, whereas Tubalcane is trying to save everybody. Right. Um, you know, he's painted as a very, very bad person, but he's trying to keep people alive in a domineering way. Well, he's I mean, like, yeah, he's like, we're men, and do you want to stay alive? Like, I mean, he and seems we can to have, get like, together. Yeah. yeah, he seems to have yeah. this like really impassioned speech. Yeah, and if you look at it from a different lens, if 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 the story isn't built to be uh, from the perspective of Noah, then you can look at Tuval Cain as being uh, being right. I mean, mm-hmm. you could look at his his goals as uh, something that you would look up to, you would be motivated by. So I find that. Mm-hmm. I said I didn't really find any of the characters especially interesting, but at least you, you need to get the protagonist and antagonist right. And I thought they Aronofsky did a pretty good job with that. They're almost yeah. both antagonists. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, I could, yeah, I could agree with that. Yeah, the yeah. the way that the the score changes sometimes when Noah's out. Yeah, Why did I say Noah's out? <laughs> <laughs> when Noah's on screen, sometimes the score changes to make him seem more sinister. So. I, I took the impression that they were both antagonists from time to time. Yeah, I really wish they would have um, created a, a more nihilistic moral landscape where these where both are right options, where both are good options, or at least they're seen that way through the character's eyes. And what really... Because, I mean, if you're going to change the story of Noah enough that it's not really the one in the Bible, then why do we really care about uh, um, the implications? I think that's mm-hmm. that's really what I'm, what I'm getting at is um, why not make them equal footing and then that the then the uh, climactic scene where um they're fighting on the boat at the end has something more than just like ah i'm trying to subvert god's plan and ah you're trying to subvert god's plan and i'm gonna kill you mm-hmm. i'm the only one with god's authority which i think is kind of ridiculous i thought that fight at the end of the movie on the boat was just terrible yeah yeah and, yeah and it ended with the boat crashing and I don't know. I thought both Tubal King and um, Noah, I thought they were pretty similar. Yeah, pretty similar yeah. at certain times. And Cain, he said at one point, like, I told you I'm not afraid of miracles. Like, he seems to be the one that's like, I'm not afraid of, I'm not afraid of what God's cho- choosing to do. I'm going to do, I'm going to be a human. I'm going to do what he put me here to do. And right. he just interpreted it totally differently. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I saw some of your notes where you said, um, it'd be cool if Noah just went rogue and killed his entire family. I feel like, yeah, that's. I that feel would like be the direction that I would see Aronofsky going with. Oh, this. totally, yeah. yeah. Can yeah, you even right. imagine? I, I feel like, yeah, that and that's more true with where they had started taking that character. Yeah, because um, he's already completely isolated from his own family because he's decided to uh, kill this baby. Yeah, like this movie's already not a one-for-one story of what's in the Bible. So, like, go full parody with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, then you'd really get alien vibes, too, if it's, if it's the family on the ark just trying to stay alive as Noah hunts them down. Yeah. yeah. And then Tubal King comes to the rescue. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. That's a very Man, interesting story. Every Christian yeah. would have hated this movie. But I agree with you, McKinnon. That's a, that is much more in line with a, an Aronofsky movie. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. That would have been very interesting. It would yeah, have turned cause... a ton of people off to it, mm-hmm. uh, but it would have been very Aronofsky. Yeah, because you, you get to the halfway point and the flood would come and you'd be like, well, there's these watchers. That's kind of weird but like I can still see why this is the story of Noah and then they'd get on the boat and you're like this is totally made a U-turn this is so strange that that would be interesting so I had a question for you guys actually while I was watching this do you wish that this was a foreign film because everyone speaking English was really disorienting to me and I wish that it was in another language I feel like that a lot 
with most movies. I imagine you do, Calvin. <laughs> I feel like, well, part of it too is I feel like it's much harder to tell bad acting when you are not, when you hear someone that's, A, like I think any, everyone with a British accent is a better actor because I'm mm-hmm. not picking up on the nuances that I would with someone with like a transatlantic uh, uh, accent yeah. or like anything else that's um, uh, mainland uh, American accent. Um, so when you make something subtitles and it's completely foreign, you could just throw out um, a lot of uh, the deliveries of lines, uh, whether they matter or anything like that. It's really about body language then for acting. And I think all foreign movies are better for that reason, not because they are just better, but just because I cannot perceive the differences as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. When we talked about the tragedy of Macbeth, one of my biggest problems with it is like, why are so many people just speaking with an American accent? <laughs> and then you have some people with a British accent. And I thought just the Michael Fassbender Macbeth was better, even though you have like Scottish and Irish and English accents. And I was like, I don't really perceive the differences in those. Yeah, and, and German, so Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> so just that movie instantly became more uh, authentic to me for mm-hmm. that reason. So I, I agree with you, e- either with an accent or... Yeah, by, by just changing the language altogether, I think the movie becomes more authentic for sure. Mm-hmm. Or like some different languages. Like I always like when people speak, like they have some shared at languages and you would think that people are either all saying the same thing or they just all understand each other like yeah. at that time or nobody understands each other. Yeah, the other movie I was thinking about while I was watching this was The Passion of the Christ, which mm. was obviously in another language. So I wonder like if that movie was done in English, that would have been like horribly received. So I wonder if this was in another language. Like if this, if Noah was a foreign film, it, I think it would have been better personally. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think if, if it you, was the whole thing was yeah. in Hebrew. Yeah. I think, I think if you take out the fantasy elements and you want to do a really true retelling, mm-hmm. then yeah, putting it in, in like Hebrew would, yeah. would, would work. Yeah, uh, just, but I think if you want it to be, uh, you know, uh, kind of get more fantastic uh-huh. and have your sort of epic action moments, it, it, it plays to more to an American audience if you just have everyone speaking English. For sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just a thought I had while I was watching. I was like, man, I wish this, I wish there were subtitles on the screen right now. So on that idea of, uh, of it being in uh, another language, um, like the Ari Handel has actually mentioned like um, the ideas surrounding race. Um, like from the beginning, they said they were concerned about casting and the issue of race. And they said what they what we realized is that this story is functioning at the level of myth and as a mythical story, the race of the individuals doesn't matter. I feel like that's that's a very interesting way of looking at it. Um, I, I, how does that land with you, though? Because, yeah, I feel like this is a biblical story and like there's kind of it should be something other than white people, I right. guess. You know, that's kind of the way I would I would think. It seems like a lot lately, there's a lot of criticism of, like, the depiction of Jesus as always this, like, bearded white man. And it gives off that idea that, like, someone who's holy and good is white. And it should be someone, you know, more like Middle East complexion. And so I, I actually tend to agree with that. I know there's a lot of problems with, um, what was that movie about Egypt? Was that Moses? Prince of Egypt? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> Oh, gods! Gods of Egypt this is like Clash of the Titans, but Egypt. Av- oh no, Avatar. No, no, God. Last Airman. <laughs> <laughs> no, the movie I'm talking about is Exodus: Gods and Kings, and it starred Christian Bale as Moses and Joel Edgerton as Ramses. And it had a lot of people were upset about that. They were like, "Why? Why were no Egyptians cast in this movie? Like, no, no one who actually was a descent from that population was used. It was two white guys." So I, I agree with that. I think this movie. I think Noah could have benefited from, you know, let's add more people of color. 
I think anytime you can enfranchise more people, I like to see that in movies, whether the movie is, is, is put together well or any good. We talked about Power of the Dog, and I don't think that's a very good story. I mean, it, I don't think it's a very good movie, but I think it brings up a story about a, a you know repressed gay man. And so I like, I like the idea of involving more of that into media. And so I think Noah would have benefited and it would have made, it would have involved more people. And so I'm all for that. So I think, I think I would have liked the idea of a more diverse cast. Yeah. And I think that he's on to something in the fact that this is a mythological story, um, that race doesn't matter. Um, I just don't think that then you cast all white people, um, because if it's still existing, because Aronofsky has said the same thing about this being multicultural. Like this is Noah is the story of humanity, um, of all cultures and all religions. So why everyone is only white then is uh, I feel like a misstep. I almost think like you should just throw out genetics entirely, and every person in the family should also just be a completely different race, and that be the point. Yeah, I think you just confused too many audience I think, members. I think then they're d- like, are they adopted? I think that if that's the, your goal, though, yeah, exactly. The, that, and that's like, that could be an interesting story. Noah, like, uh, it would also um, help um, tie up the narrative, the fact that, uh, like, let's say Noah's wife couldn't conceive children. Because the fact that he's so hung up on Elis children, like, completely discounting the fact that his wife can still have children. Like, oh, I guess you're just never going to have sex again. Right. Um, like, so that's a bit of a plot hole. But, like, say she's barren and they've just adopted all of these children. Mm. I think that actually that actually would work. And I don't think that it's necessarily outside of, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it, you would uh, subvert the, the genealogies in the Bible. But if, you, if that's really your goal is this idea of myth and not actual physical history like the bible says it is then i don't have a problem with everybody being a different race then right no i I get that and that would seem again more in line with aronofsky to kind of put things in that subvert expectations so it also would then these are the only other good people in the entire world not just noah's family but like these are the the good people that we've collected through our travels that sounds like i feel like collected is a bad word for but if they're all orphans, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. a little bit. <laughs> is it weird that I don't think the race of actors and movies matter at all? And that if someone comes in and tries out for a part and they do a good job at it, it shouldn't matter what race they are and they should get the part? I think I think the problem is that uh, a lot of people would complain that mm-hmm. Hollywood doesn't do it that way. Yeah. That okay. white people just get the majority of the roles because Which, they're either more popular or they're more well-known. Sure. Or because so, the white people are the ones casting. Exactly. Which is yeah. interesting because the first thing I thought about was uh, Bruce Almighty and Morgan Freeman plays God. And I don't think mm-hmm. most people think of God as a black man. But mm-hmm. most people do think of God, Morgan Freeman, as God. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I think that I think Morgan Freeman being cast as God, that was actually more of a humorous trope than it was actual enfranchisement. It might be. I also think he came in and tried out for the part and did a great job, and that's why he got it. Yeah. I feel like, though, Morgan Freeman doesn't try out for anything. Mm-hmm. I, feel like the, I feel like he got to a certain point, like, why don't we just make Morgan Freeman Maybe. God? Like, cause that, like yeah. roles are written for him. He doesn't really try out for Yeah, them. exactly. If, if, a, if a black actor applied, applied, tried out for Noah, I wouldn't care um, unless they were doing a bad job at it and it wasn't believable. Can you imagine Idris Elba as Noah? Oh, gosh, that sounds yeah. so good. I know. I'm so I, I, glad Jaden's not here. He hates him. <laughs> yeah, no, he does hate him. No, but I agree with you, McKinnon. I think if if every role is given out based on merit, then yeah, then, yeah. You, then it shouldn't matter who gets cast in what role. Another, but the problem is, is it's just not done that way. Another right? movie I think about is Ghost in the Shell, and Scarlett Johansson was criticized for being in that movie, but 
I haven't seen Ghost in the Shell, but I bet she does a great job because she's a good actress. So it doesn't matter to me that the color of her skin is different than the source material. Yeah, I don't think that, I, to me, I don't think that there's nothing, there's, there really isn't anything necessarily wrong with that on surface level. Mm-hmm. It's how all of these uh, structures are built in a way that really only benefit people in a cycle. White people get to this this level of um, you know their studio heads and directors, and they're the ones with all of the power. And they generally cast the people that they're friends with, the people that they know, and they connect more with those people. And they end up being a similar race, similar background, and that's why there's this this constant cycle. And that's why it's an institution. That's why uh, like race like there's this idea of structural racism is the fact that no one is doing this on purpose, but you have to elevate people people um, up to those levels at the same time so that we can just get past the fact that white people are casting more things than black people, not because of their merit, but because of who they know. And when those things are eroded, then, yeah, these conversations will, I mean, they're, they're not going to go away because there's still people that are inherently bigoted in it. And uh, um, that will prevent people from uh, being cast in movies that they, they're in charge of. But yeah, I agree. Like, I think that um, that's part of the myth of America is that everything is based on uh, a meritocracy. Right. That um, if you're good enough, you can you can get far and get ahead. And but when you really look at even just the the stories of everyone that's rich, they all just already started rich. It's not because that uh, they worked harder or were. I mean, like I think obviously the great example is Kim Kardashian. Like I don't think that oh God. the world is set up for someone of that intelligence to get ahead at all, unless they were already on top of the world. What's her her younger sister's name? She uh, she was Kendall. named like there's Kim, yeah. Chloe, Ka- Kendall. Whichever one has been put out as like the the, the first self made self made billionaires. Like, are you kidding me? Self made like coming from money, coming from like having the status, being so popular. To say you're self made is so disingenuous. Um, I also wanted to touch on uh, where this movie was banned at. We've talked about how it's controversial in the United States and among Christians. But it was just outright not released in uh, Bahrain, Qatar, and uh, the United Arab Emirates. I've actually lived in two of those places. I was in Dubai for a while. Uh, that also includes like Abu Dhabi and Fujara. And then I was in Bahrain for a while. And there is certainly uh, media that gets put out there that is like censored and changed. We went and saw movies when I was in Dubai. And some, some just like weren't out. Like were just straight up not released. And we knew that they were coming out in the States. So like there's definitely like a level of censorship there. So I, I think it's kind of interesting that people here have a problem with it and they're just like, oh, it's not the no I wanted. But then it's it's just outright not played in other places. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too, like the, the reasons that it was banned in those places was a lot more tame than any of the criticisms that Christians have. It's just because that Islamic law disallows the depiction of religious figures. Yeah. Like they, you can't have statues of Muhammad uh, or paintings or drawings. Right. So to depict, I think, because the some of the genealogies between uh Judaism and Islam are the same or similar and so I think one of them is um I think it's Noah I think Noah might be in that and so having Noah in the story just outright violates Islamic law so but that's it it's it's just that it's not because they found the the story itself controversial right although I'm sure they would have <laughs> All right, so I think we're getting ready to wrap this one up. Let's get into our final thoughts. Uh, McKenna, what did you think of this one? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching this movie more than Mother, but I think it's worse than Mother. Those are my final thoughts. That's all I feel about this movie. I did not feel much. So 
it's estimated that there were 35,000 different species on the ark. Okay. So if you double that, you know, two of every animal. So we're going to do this on a scale of one to 70,000. Where do you rate this movie? <laughs> to make it easy, a one equals 7,000. Yeah. So if you need to add it up to do the math. <laughs> well, I want to make sure I rate this lower than mother. So yeah, to make sure that I, I rate mother higher than this, I'll, I'll give this one 43,000. 805,000. Okay. 753. I think that's a number. All right. Okay. Uh, Katya, what are your thoughts and uh, where do you rank this? Yeah, ending thoughts. I just have hashtag love. (laughs) 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 So um, I'm glad it ended with the rainbow. It's kind of on a happy note. Yeah, I don't know. Ending thoughts. It just, it was a lot of different things. And I feel like now I have a very skewed idea of the the story of Noah. Oh, that's yeah. such a, that is such a good way yeah. to put it. I, I agree with you. It really ends on this really high note, which mm-hmm. is just so not Aronofsky at all. Yeah. So I, you, I was I was not expecting that. I thought it was going to be more sadness. Mm-hmm. Did you think love was like a, a theme in this movie? Only because only because Hermione was in the movie and like he looked at him and was like filled with love and she's like oh yeah it's it, oh the it like the twins like when I looked at them mm-hmm. I was just filled with love yeah that okay. seemed like the whole reason that humanity continued which also seems the whole reason that the creator let Noah choose because he did love them yeah, so yeah. He, he decided to let let them choose that's interesting that kind of yeah. came out of nowhere for me because I didn't think love was brought up heavily at no. all before that point. Exactly. Well, yeah. then you have the love between like Gila and Shem. Do you know that scene where they, they run into each other in the woods and they start mm-hmm. kissing? Yeah. Apparently they did so many takes of that scene that they both got like bloody lips and oh. like, swollen <laughs> lips and stuff. <laughs> Very impassioned kiss. That's yeah. funny. Uh, what do you score this? I've never scored anything before, but um, I want to give it like all of the snakes and the dinosaurs that were missing. So... Like. <laughs> okay, so technically, most Christians will say that the dinosaurs were on the ark. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, but they went extinct after the ark. They should still be there. They, yeah, they are. That's what I mean. Yeah. There's some hoop jumping in that. Um, I'm gonna go a little bit. I'm. I'll go like forty-one thousand. Okay. Two. There's no way I like this movie more than you. I need to. I need to lower my score. <laughs> I do. I just didn't. I mean, yeah, I didn't. I didn't have fun. I wouldn't watch it again. No, right. I wouldn't watch this movie yeah. again either. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of this, Calvin? Yeah. So I think it's two movies. I think neither one of them are very good. Um, it's not It's not interesting thematically. It's uh, the only thing that I find interesting and cool throughout the whole movie are just all of those montage sequences with the the changing forms uh, on top of, with all of those match on, on actions on top of each other. Right. That part is cool. That's very Aronofsky. But otherwise, yeah, it's... They're both below average stories. Um, I'm going to give it uh, 37,590 animals. Did you not think that some of the montages were overused? Uh, I didn't care because it was the only thing that was interesting. Okay. So, yeah, I... it certainly doesn't fit with this movie, but I felt them just so visually uh, uh, arresting that 
I didn't care that they were so out of place. You could tell Aronofsky was trying to say something. So you're like, okay, I'll allow it. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. And mostly because, yeah, it's because of him. Like if Michael Bay decided to do this, it's like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Because you would know he's just trying to copy someone else. Yeah, or he was just trying to, like, it was just some, it was, certainly wasn't his idea. Yeah. Or if it was, it was like, well, he's an idiot, so it's a bad idea. Right. That's unfortunate that if someone like Michael Bay tried to do this, you wouldn't give him any credit. You would just be like, well... No, I think you don't because deserve it. it's it's imitation of his own art. That's what makes this interesting. Oh right, yeah. Um, rather than um, something that just came out of nowhere, yeah. it's more of uh, of an artifact of his of his earlier style. Okay, uh, I would put this at forty five thousand. I'm I'm only the only one who used like real like a regular number. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. We all used real numbers. Yeah, I mean, you guys <laughs> oh, I said 45 million or something. I gave a weird number. You yeah. said 1,000 twice. I did say 1,000 twice. I need I, to lower that. I just went to what corresponded with five because I think it's kind of middle of the road. I, I Like with Katya, I don't think I'd watch it again. I think there's still some That's 35,000. Yeah, oh, I meant 35, yeah. Okay. okay. 35,000. Uh, okay. It's got some interesting enough elements on it that feel Aronofsky, but not enough of them to make me as interested as... I mean, I dogged on Mother a lot. I still find that to be like a pretty interesting movie to watch mm-hmm. uh, because it's it still has some like really neat concepts and themes in it. This one, it either needs to be the story of judgment and wickedness of men that the first half of the movie is, or it needs to cover, I think, the themes of uh, you know uh, how how humanity treats the earth. It needs to pick one of them to be. It can't be two different stories that literally stops like halfway through it. Mm-hmm. I, I think I actually I paused the movie when they get on the arc and the flood starts because I was like, there's no way I'm at the end of this. Like it doesn't feel that long, but it is. It's like exactly halfway through. And that's when the whole story shifts. I was so surprised that there was so much movie left after the flood. Yeah. I, 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 I can understand 30 minutes to button everything up. Yeah. I cannot understand how you justify a whole nother hour and Tubal Cain being on that boat. Yeah. So do you, do you think that there shouldn't have been like a stowaway on the ship? Absolutely not. And it, cause it just... brings up uh, all of those other themes of like, cause he's like, Oh, you're a man now when ham kills him. Like that has nothing to do with anything. That felt so undeserved. That. Yeah. Yeah. Which like we didn't talk about at all. I wish that we did talk about that. Cause that whole, of uh, uh, Percy Jackson killing his father was, <laughs> It was, it was, I can't say it was out of nowhere, but it was completely undeserved, I thought. It just didn't seem like it fit with the rest of the movie. Well, it wasn't built on much. Yeah. Like, he just said a couple times that this girl he liked died. Yeah. All right. That's all. I mean, it's implied. He doesn't know for sure. He just blames his dad for it. Yeah. All right. With that, we're going to wrap this one up. I want to thank McKinnon for being on, as always. And uh, Katya, it was great to have you on. It's it's nice to have another perspective on this. And uh, Calvin, thanks again, as always, for being on here with me. And uh, remember, you can find our podcast on uh, different platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload all these to YouTube. Uh, Go ahead and leave a comment. Tell us what we're doing well. Tell us what we're doing wrong. And uh, leave suggestions for movies we can uh, review in the future. And with that, thank you for listening to Now This Is Podcasting.